0: In the book, Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien, there were two real bad guys. There was Saruman, who was the human incarnation of evil, betrayal and deception. He, he was the original good guy that became a bad guy. He got corrupted. He got tempted by the dark side, the dark forces. And then there was the formless, the evil, the true emanator of the dark forces, Sauron, who was the eye that existed in Mount Doom or Barad-Dur or wherever it was in his world. And he was the one, the all-seeing, omnipotent, and yet had no form and no presence. And it's interesting, if you read the book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, or you uh, read Carl Jung's studies of archetypes throughout history, is that evil and also good guys in Hollywood, in Bollywood, in books, in religion, these are characters which appear again and again throughout culture and there's a reason for this in the same way that there may be for example a repetitive character type that you see in a movie it could be appearing in any sort of western movie or marvel's uh, universe or it could be appearing in lord of the rings but they're very similar characters and there's a reason for that it's what jung called these archetypes and The interesting thing is that these archetypes are real in our definitions. And if you go back to, for example, in the Bible, you had the human character who betrayed the good guy, and that would have been uh, Judas or Pontius Pilate, for example, who was a human being who betrayed the, the, the hero in return for money and greed and gain. And then you had the bad guy who was the devil and he could occupy many forms. And this is a very religious concept that, you know, the the evil gods could manifest in many different forms and often they were formless. They were more a feeling and they would manifest in, you know, into animals or humans or storms or, you know, tempestuous waves, for example, to thwart the hero in their journey. And whilst I may be summoning up ancient narratives, these narratives are real even today. And when you look, for example, at TikTok and Huawei, you see these narratives re-emerge. And what I mean by that is that you can present all the data you like about TikTok and Huawei, but at the end of the day, what matters is the narratives these historical mythical narratives which are told about people because these in a way are the apis to our consciousness that you can give me all the data you like but i only understand the world through this api you give me the key the key is a story a narrative i already understand and that may be a positive or a negative narrative it's why you have tyrants rise to power on the back of these negative narratives that they tell about people. And often the enemy is this unseen, formless threat to our existence that doesn't play by our rules and in many ways may be omnipotent. And yet, Those narratives, as illogical as they appear, are extremely powerful. And that's why when you look at the fate of TikTok and Huawei, these are ultimately communication failures on a massive proportion by these brands. And they can scream and complain as much as they like about how they've been victimized and how they've been singled out by Point scoring politicians. But the reality is, it's their failure and their fault for being in the firing line because the consciousness of the world, shaped very much by the conversations of social media, has placed these brands into pigeonholes which they have happily adopted. And as a result, they have become the enemy that point-scoring politicians can easily look at and vent our frustrations onto. So there is nothing more scary than an evil that is formless, omnipotent, and in many ways unseeable. You think about all the horror movies or monster movies or thrillers. These are the worst and the scariest kinds of enemies. They're not human. The human enemy is in many ways a lot more understandable. Saruman in Lord of the Rings was far less scary than Sauron. And in fact, Saruman received his comeuppance. And even if you think about many of the narratives you see in popular hero movies... It's this dark, formless enemy, which in many ways is the unknown. And that is what we are scared about. It's more scary to be swimming in the sea and worrying about a shark than it is being killed by a deer or a cow crossing the road and you know smashing into the, the grill of our car. Even though statistically, you're far more likely to be killed by a deer or a cow in the former scenario, then you are being eaten by a shark. But we are scared of sharks because in many ways, they are formless. They are unseeable. They are silent and emotionless. And we can't see them. We can't see them down there. And we are in the unknown. And so when politicians single out TikTok and Huawei, the reason is it's because TikTok and Huawei will happily sit behind the PR wall and play that game of being unknown and formless. You know, who is the founder of TikTok? Who is the founder of Huawei? If we don't know that answer, then we have a problem that this and these companies have a lot of power and data about us now that's not new amazon microsoft name your big i.t company trillion dollar i.t brand they have all that kind of data about us but jeff bezos he's human being so we trust him right but he probably holds just as much data about us and maybe the us government has just as much data about us through that than TikTok has about all the kids that are dancing on it and the data accessible apparently by Chinese government. It's all the same, but the point is, is that the narratives are different. And TikToks and Huawei's similarly failing is that they haven't humanized their brands. They have elected to remain silent and formless. And there's nothing scarier than a silent and formless foe. Now, if we were to do this correctly, what TikTok and Huawei needs to do is humanize their brands. They need to help us understand who they are and who their founders are. If they were to do one thing to change their outcome, it would be to identify the founder of the tiktok bike dance and the founder of huawei or even though he may not be alive the chairman and put them out there in the public consciousness and humanize them that will take a lot of heat off these brands now they won't be this formless omnipotent enemy that we don't understand are scared of now they become human and in many respects we relate to them when we start telling stories about the other, the other becomes like us. In the same way that they're telling the stories of the black slaves that were imported to the cotton plantations of America. Those stories, not the data, those stories helped us empathize with their plight and create the energy for change and similarly tiktok and huawei can do the same by humanizing their people they no longer become the other they become just like us and it's not and the sorry the excuse often often used to hide behind is that this is not what chinese brands do but that's a lie jack ma alibaba is a fantastic example of humanizing a brand he's out there we've seen his funny face in the media he seems all right we trust him he tells his stories about being a teacher or how he came up with the name Alibaba by running it by a waitress in America Those stories humanize the brand. Those stories connect those archetypes with Michael Dell in the garage or Stephen Wobbs making the first Apple computer. These are archetypes which we understand. And when we can put people in the box, we understand that, okay, they're just like us. So if I was to put this out as an open letter, an open podcast, a TikTok and Huawei, that it's not about, PR campaigns it's not about social media it's not about lobbying do all that you will but ultimately it's about humanizing your brands identify who the people are and put them out in public and start telling their story and your fortunes will change